have great news for all you migraine sufferers. The healthcare industry has paid a lot of attention and they have got a number of new treatments that have just come out. Some for prevention and some for your acute, I'm in the middle of it and I can't even move headaches. I've got one of the top neurologists and migraine specialists in the country with us today to talk about what these new treatments are. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, rate and review us at the end, and please share this. Tell your friends, because there's a whole lot of people out there who could really benefit. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Alex Moskop. Dr. Moskop is the director and founder of the New York Headache Center. He's been conducting research in the field of headaches for over 30 years, has published many articles in scientific journals, and has delivered over 500 scientific presentations and lectures. He also serves as a reviewer for the New England Journal of Medicine, Neurology, Headache, and other medical journals. Two editions of his book for doctors, Migraine and Headache, have been published by Oxford University Press. Dr. Moskop is also a licensed acupuncturist, an expert in functional medicine, and he's the author of two direct-to-consumer books, The Headache Alternative, A Neurologist's Guide to Drug-Free Relief, and What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Migraines, the breakthrough program that can help end your pain, both of which are available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about Dr. Moskop and sign up for his blog at nyheadache.com. Alex, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, you know, I called you the other day because my spin class i have the sweetest most fit delightful instructor for my spin class and she'd been out for a few weeks she'd been missing missing class and she came and she was in one day and i said what was up and she said that she'd had migraine problems and it had affected she had other issues and it had affected her body and so that's why she'd missed class and i went wow and we hadn't done about done anything about migraines so i called you so we could do do a piece on it and you said perfect timing because there's all this new stuff going out there so i'm really excited to be talking to you today yeah so unfortunately migraines affect uh 40 million americans um most of them um okay they're not uh affected by migraines but millions are are disabled by their migraines and we have good statistics to prove that and unfortunately migraine is often dismissed by doctors family members as just a headache it's not just a headache, as, as, as the case with your spin instructor. It can really ruin your life. Well, and so the interesting thing is, you and I were talking about this, like there's this, mic, there, there are like, look, look like there's over 100 treatments. You have a blog on your website, 100 migraine treatments A to Z. So there's a ton of treatments, and yet there's this micro explosion of new treatments going on. Um, so we're going to talk about those new treatments in a little bit, but why, why the explosion? Why this, what I'll call a sudden interest in migraines? Well, actually, it's not that sudden. <clears throat> it's been going on since, um, I, I would say, 25, uh, 30 years. Now people realize that it's a major public health problem, but pharmaceutical companies realize that there's some money to be made, and that, that's a good thing, actually, because... Um, until 1992, there were no specific migraine drugs. 92, when we uh, finally had a drug that was a designer drug specifically developed for migraines, and it was Sumatriptan, Imitrex, and then there were six more similar drugs, Me Too drugs, we call them. And then there was a big gap. Um, there was Botox, of course, that got approved, but again, it was not 
result for migraines was an accidental discovery, which is nothing wrong with that. But the second category of drugs that you just mentioned, the new drugs that are coming out, uh, CGRP blocking drugs. CGRP is a chemical that's released in the brain when you have a migraine. It took about 25 years from the time that this was discovered that CGRP is released until the actual introduction of the drugs. So it's years of research, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars spent before these drugs can come. So it's, it's, it's not that sudden, but um, it is a confluence of um, several events that made them all come out at the same time. Gotcha. I, we can talk in, in, in about yeah. That. Well, we're going to de- yeah we're going to go into detail about the new things before we start on the new stuff. Let's talk about for just a couple of minutes about I'll call it. Is it possible to talk about what I'll call the best and the the worst? So again, with all these you know hundred plus treatments that are out there, is there one or two? Is there anything that you you consider I'll call it the best that people should be thinking about? Um, and then I want to talk about, like, is there anything where I'll call it they're wasting their money, they're wasting their time, and if their doctor tries to give this to them as a, as a first pass, they should avoid it. Right, so yeah, so there are, there are several uh, treatments that stand out as being uh, very effective and very safe. But before that, um, we, maybe we should mention that um, uh, lifestyle changes are very important. People often ask me, what's the cause of my migraines? And I joke, half-jokingly tell them, the cause of your migraines is your mother. Um, That's often, so harsh. They often laugh, but in fact, it is a genetic predisposition. What about the father? The majority of are, Wait, aren't there dad genes in there also? Why is it the mother? <laughs> well, um, uh, unfortunately, three times as many women suffer from migraines than men. So, yes, definitely men give women headaches, but maybe not through their genetic <laughs> uh, background. Um Huh. So, so if a man, in all seriousness, so if a man has, gets migraines, can they pass the gene along as well? Or in all seriousness, it's yeah, mostly yeah, an yeah, X chromosome thing. So it's not, not strictly um, tied to the, to the, the um, genetics uh, or, or sex hormones and other things, but it is true that when girls at puberty begin to have migraines and after menopause, often migraines disappear. But, so I tell patients, the cause is not, we cannot cure the cause now because people would like to have a cure, but there are many triggers that contribute to this this genetic predisposition. Triggers such as lack of sleep, and most people know if they don't get enough sleep, they'll get a migraine. Not eating on time, not drinking enough water, too much stress, um, and many, many other triggers. So first we try to figure out are there any triggers that we can address. Stress best treatment for that is exercise and meditation. Uh, too difficult to do things, but, but they're very effective. We have good science proving that they work specifically for migraine and not just they're good for you. And when you say exercise, do you, you don't mean that I have to run marathons. Is it just, can I be sure to walk for 30 minutes a day? Is that enough? Exactly. 30 minutes of cardio of, uh, doesn't have to be very intense. Actually, people who are prone to migraine can get a headache from too much exercise or exercise that's too um, strenuous. So it's just low-grade movement, just being sure to move and circulate that blo- the blood and oxygen in your body. Yeah, yeah. We have a study out of Sweden looking at 46,000 people, um, and they're all in a nationalized uh, health care system as the advantage of having every bit of information in their computer system. So they run this uh, correlation. They found a very strong inverse correlation between it frequency of exercise and frequency of, of, of headaches. Right. The more you exercise, the fewer headaches you've got. 
Well, that works, of course. Yep, but it doesn't, it's no surprise. Most right. people will tell me, oh, yes, I remember when I exercised, I had fewer headaches. But, you know, time is, is, is hard uh, to find. And the same with meditation. So is my... Buddhists have, a, Buddhists have a joke. You should meditate 20 minutes every day, and if you're too busy, you should meditate for an hour. <laughs> I understand that. That forces you, right? Um, so migraines, then, I'll call it, is it a, a condition? It's not a disease, right? So you get... Uh, the flu that's a disease you get cancer in some ways that's a disease um but migraines because there are so many causes of it is it just a condition a confluence of things that happen in your body that make you prone well, to we, this no we do call it we do call it a disease but you're right migraine um comes in different flavors every person has a slightly different version some people get nauseous some do not some people have visual aura, disturbance that comes on before the headache. Um, so it, it is uh, probably a different condition, different people. And there are many genes now being identified that can predispose you to migraines. But at the same time, hypertension, which is a disease, also has many uh, different underlying causes. So it is a disease. Yes. And um, it's uh, one of the most disabling neurological disorders. So but, um, we started talking about two of my favorite, or a couple of favorite treatments that stand out on the list of the hundred treatments, and uh, those are, would be my first choice for prevention of migraines would be Botox injections, which are incredibly safe, have been around for thirty years, but a bit expensive. That's the only limiting factor, and the acute therapy. So we divide migraine therapies for pre into preventive and abortive therapies. Yes. For acute abortive therapies, the drug I mentioned, sumatriptan, was the gold standard. The Imitrex. Uh, until recently, well, we have some competition for it. But those two um, treatments are really very safe and very effective. And with Botox, uh, this isn't go down to my local uh, facial salon and have someone inject my head. I have to go to a neurologist to have them properly injected? Correct, because the, the, the cosmetic treatment um, is, is just injecting the forehead uh, muscles, the wrinkles, and uh, when you use it for migraines, the dose is maybe five, six times higher. We inject sides of your head, back of your head, neck and shoulders. If you do just the forehead, yes, some people might improve from just that treatment, but um, for most people, that's not going to be sufficient. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So now you've got all these treatments, and are there any treatments that are commonly used that you find to be either especially risky or ineffective? Yes. A um, couple of things. There's a very popular drug, probably the most popular preventive drug, topiramate. The brand name is Topomax. Um, it's an epilepsy drug that's officially FDA approved for migraine as well as epilepsy. But people underestimate the side effects. Uh, studies show that 20% of people taking Topamax long-term develop kidney stones. Women develop osteoporosis. The reason it's so popular, despite these risks, is it has a rare side effect of weight loss. Ah, okay. People love the idea of losing weight. So if someone is overweight, I will um, often consider that. So wait, I don't understand. Uh, so treat your migraine and lose your weight? Like that seems like a totally exactly. twisted uh, reason and rationale for giving someone a drug. 
Yeah, so, so unfortunately, though, it can cause all these other side effects, and more often than the ones I mentioned, another side effect is, is uh, memory difficulties. I had a, a woman who was um, in her late 60s, retired, and uh, she came in and said, I love Topamax. I have normal migraines. I lost 20 pounds. I can't remember anything, but I don't care. Okay, that's scary. So unfortunately, young women, the young people who have to function and work, can afford to have uh, difficulties uh, recalling words and uh, having brain fog. So there are some people, lucky people, for whom it doesn't cause any side effects. And so we do use this drug, but uh, its uh, its dangers are underappreciated. One other treatment we should talk about. I'm a big fan of alternative therapies, and that's the topic of my books. Yes. But chiropractic, and I, I actually have gone to chiropractor myself. Uh, so I have nothing uh, against chiropractic, especially for back pains. But neck is a very, very delicate part of the body, and I personally have seen one stroke from chiropractic manipulation, um, and there are hundreds of reports. Now, it's still rare, considering how many millions of people go for a chiropractor treatment. And again, I, I, I've tried it myself. Um, but there is a risk that's not worth taking, considering that it's not a cure. Now, the other interesting thing is people love passive treatments, we call them. Well, can I, let me stay on chiropractic for a second, because that seems antithetical. And I I get my neck out of, I get my neck adjusted every so often because my neck goes out of line and I can't stand having it done and it always scares me. Um, But the, the, it seems to be the wrong treatment. Like if you have migraines, you're talking about that it's genetic and there are all these other root causes. So to to do a chiropractic adjustment for it seems like it's a, a total unrelated treatment. Yes, they might have some headache as well, or they might have muscular stuff, but doesn't that, am I missing something here that they're disconnected to the root disease of migraine? You're right, but unfortunately, there are even chiropractors who call themselves neurologists because they specialize in neurological disorders and they claim you can look up on their websites, they claim curing any kind of disease, uh, including migraines. And uh, they consider uh, migraines a disorder of uh, cervical spine. They can adjust your cervical spine and your migraine gets better. Now, I had, you know, to be fair, I have some patients who find it to be useful. They have stress and tension, muscle become tight in the neck, they go yes. to the chiropractor, they feel better. I'm not denying that that's a possibility, but it's not worth the risk because the blood vessels that run inside the spinal column are very fragile, very thin, and the spinal column itself is, is very fragile. So it's a sudden jerky movements of your neck can what we call dissect the artery and cause a stroke. So it's not worth the risk considering it's a passive treatment, meaning yes. that things are done to you like massage and acupuncture. It's much more effective if you do active therapies that you do, like exercise and meditation. How about stretching? That's my new thing, to avoid having to have my neck adjusted. Well, there's also another interesting method called Feldenkrais method. Yes. It's really a fascinating um, movement therapy that I really like. Yeah, we've done stories on Feldenkrais. That's great. Yeah. Um, All right, so let's see. Where Am I ready to talk about? I was going to ask you something, and I just had a brain moment. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. So um, people often, like in the antidepressant world, GPs will frequently prescribe antidepressants, even though someone isn't necessarily clinically depressed. But they 
think that they're helping with it. Is there a similar thing going on with migraines where GPs are prescribing migraine medication and they're, since they're not as familiar with the condition and or all these other drugs that they're not necessarily prescribing the proper medication and that someone really needs to be go to, go to a neurologist, a migraine specialist for treatment of migraines? Yes, it's a complicated uh, issue. Now, a uh, couple of uh, separate issues that you brought up. One is the use of antidepressants. And antidepressants um, definitely can help migraines, even if you're not depressed, but not all antidepressants. Yeah, and example, I was... the Prozac family does not. I was actually just using that as a parallel example of doctors prescribing things that they're not expert in. But... Uh, right. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there are so many migraine sufferers and there are so few neurologists uh, uh, and headache specialists that by default, the vast majority of migraine sufferers are being managed by primary care doctors. But you're right. Many of them are not really educated unless they have uh, an interest, unless they personally suffer from migraines or a family member suffers from migraines. Many primary care docs will not uh, provide uh, adequate treatment. And sometimes they, all, uh, they don't want to start prescribing migraine drugs. One reason being, especially the new drugs, the Botox, are fairly expensive, so you need to do a lot of paperwork. And that's, that's been a bane of uh, our existence, doing, dealing with insurance companies, getting approvals for right. every little thing. So they often will refer patients to neurologists. And average wait for a headache specialist, even in New York City, where we have many doctors, about three months. Wow to get an appointment. So it's a very underserved area. So again, primary care docs manage the vast majority of, of migraine sufferers, and they should be familiar with all the old drugs and the new ones coming out in the market. So then is it an important question then, if somebody's having a non-headache specialist prescribing for them, I always talk about, ask your doctor about, with any drug whatsoever, but in particular in this category, it sounds like, about their experience with migraines, their experience with prescribing medication for migraines, and their experience with this medication in particular, and why they're choosing that one. You're right. That's, that's the right, that's what they have to do. All right. That's, it's, it's not easy to find, but there are some actually primary care doctors yeah. who are interested in migraines and are good at managing yeah. them. I've come across many doctors who are pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure there are. And, you know, I feel GPs, There's so much data that's going on, so much research, so many new drugs across the board. You can't necessarily assume that they know everything. They're trying the best they can. So patients to speak up and advocate for themselves and just double check, like to to walk through slowly their rationale is a smart strategy. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's talk about those new treatments because you were so excited about these new things. You really are loving them Um, and and what they can possibly offer to patients. So first thing was, you said there are three different injectables for prevention. Correct. So these uh, drugs, again, took 25 years to develop the drugs that block this uh, neurotransmitter chemical, CGRP, that's released during a migraine attack. And three companies came up with a similar product. And there is a fourth one coming that's injected intravenously every three months. The first three uh, injected into the skin, subcutaneous, under your skin, and the, you can use an auto-injector. It's a pretty simple device to inject yourself with a, just press a button and give yourself a shot. One of the three that we have now can be given every three months, triple dose every three months. 
So it's really um, very simple to do. It's a, a bit unpleasant because it's an injection, but people who suffer from severe migraines do not mind because if they feel better, they will not mind a little prick. So the drugs, unfortunately, do not work for everyone. Um, they work for about 70% of people. 20% get dramatic improvement uh, from them, like 75% to 100% improvement. Uh, about 50% get 50% uh, improvement. And there is a 30% of people get nothing from these. And how, unfortunately. And but how long do they know often. till it works? Or is it you just kind of see you do, you start, you take the injection, and then you see how long it is until when and if you get your next migraine? No, they're done regularly on a monthly basis. And the first treatment may not be as good as second. Uh, and the third one can be better than the, um, the second one. Um, it's cumulative. So if you continue doing it, people get better and better results sometimes. Usually we give it two or three months before we give up on it if there's no improvement at all. But sometimes there are many lucky people from the one treatment, first treatment gets, uh, gives them dramatic results. Um, and then of course they continue to inject themselves once a month. And um, these, people often ask me with, with these injectables as well as Botox and other drugs, how long do I have to take this? Is this a lifelong treatment? The answer is no. Luckily, migraine is not a lifelong disease. Uh, as I mentioned, sometimes with menopause they get better, but sometimes just changing uh, your job, moving to another place, uh, having a baby for women sometimes stops their headaches. So it's not a lifelong condition, luckily. So that really then speaks to the power of stress and hormones underlying Yes, this. yes. So then we're sometimes back. It's, uh, yeah. Sometimes stress is not a factor. Sometimes hormones are not a factor. The migraines just come on, and and we cannot figure out the trigger. Sometimes it's the weather changes. Sometimes, sometimes it's the diet. But uh, but again, these drugs, the injectables, work even for people from nothing work, including people who failed Botox and drugs. And when these drugs came out, the new injectables, uh, it really they really changed the lives of many people. Not everyone. Yes. I was asked. Uh, somebody asked me. Uh, these drugs are so good, are you going to be out of business? Unfortunately, we are busier than ever administering these drugs. Well, life seems to be stressful, more stressful than ever. Yep. Uh, so, and I was going to ask you before, so because you said there that migraines present in different ways. So if you have migraines with aura or migraine, the different types of migraines, do they all get the same kind of treatment? Like would the same drugs work no matter what your type of migraine is? Or if you have a migraine with aura, it is a different type of drug more effective versus another drug for a different type of migraine. Yeah, that's a holy grail. We, we always want to know who is going to respond to which treatment. Unfortunately, at this point, we have no way to predict, except that it's all trial and error. But I'm very optimistic that in 10, maybe 20 years, we will have predictable prediction um, available by doing a variety of tests. Uh, so for CGRP drugs, for example, the injectables and the orals that are coming soon, if we could measure CGRP levels easily in a regular laboratory, we could predict who is going to respond. If your level is high when you have an attack, that's the drug for you. But at this point, that test is not available commercially. And there will be many other genetic and, and other kind of blood tests that will, tell, will enable us to predict which treatment is appropriate for which person. Not available at this point, unfortunately. So it's all trial and error. 
Gotcha. Okay, so let's go back to these injectables. And you said some pills are coming. So what's the benefit of an injectable versus a pill? Because like in the acute stage, most of those treatments are pills, I think. Right. So, so injectables are preventive therapies. That is, you do it once a month and it prevents migraines. The orals that the first one came out called Ubrelvi, Ubrojapant, and there is another one coming soon called Rimajapant. Those are taken as needed when you have an attack. We call them abortive drugs. But there's also a drug in development uh, that will be a pill form, in a pill form taken daily to prevent migraine. So I think most people prefer pills to injections. So there will be a comp- competing uh, product which works in the same um, in the same way, similar mechanism, uh, inhibiting this uh, the CGRP chemical. Right. And the so the what the three names? What are the three names of the different injectables? So the first one was Amovig, that's the brand name. The chemical name is Erinumab. By the way, when the drug's generic name ends in MAB, M-A-B, it stands for monoclonal antibody. So Erinumab, so it's a very sophisticated biologic product. Second was Ajovi, Framanizumab. And the third one was Mgalli, Galcanizumab. And the fourth one that's coming in the intravenous form pretty soon will be eptinezumab. Not easy to pronounce. These I names, don't know who but, is in these yeah. naming meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just I imagine that meeting? Now, so, but you said, so all three of these injectables though, and I presume the IV one similarly, um, they're, they have different names of their generics, and yet you said that they function very similarly. So why would somebody take one versus the other or should they think about one versus the other or is it become a price yeah, discussion good, or good question yeah so uh and a new map aim of it came out first blocks the cgrp receptor that's on the cell that reacts to this molecule that floats around connects the receptor and causes all kinds of things happen to happen the and at the simplest two, form cgrp they actually block the floating molecule of CGRP, prevent it from attaching itself to the receptor. So there's a slight difference in mechanism. And I would say maybe 10%, 20% of people who don't respond to the Amovic uh, might respond to the other, one of the other two because they're slightly different uh, mechanism of action, even though they block the same chemical. So that's the reason to try another one. Or another circumstance which I had, one can cause an allergic reaction and the other one will not. So I had a woman with a rash from one, but then we tried the other one, and that one's fine. Interesting. And just let me just clarify. So, so also one more differentiation fact, differentiating factors: amoxicillin can sometimes cause constipation. The other ones are less so. Um, okay. The let me just also say because we keep throwing around the term CGRP, so I'm going to try and put it in my basic sure. translation so that people, because they may not know what that is. So my translation of that is that that's a, a chemical in the brain that dilates the, the veins, the blood vessels in the brain, which is what gives the headache. Is that a simplistic way for people to know what that is? Um, kind of, sort of? Maybe not. Okay. Um, because <laughs> it is true. You're right about the fact that CGRP, calcitonin gene-related peptide, is the strongest vasodilator, opens the blood vessels. But it appears that uh, the effect there are many other effects that it can produce, including on nerve endings. 
It's also called a neurotransmitter. So, and CGRP is ubiquitous in the body. Throughout the body, you have CGRP. And it, it performs many different functions, and we don't know exactly how it works for migraines. You know, shockingly, the sumatriptan, the drug that we've had now for 27 years, we still have debates at medical meetings. Does it work in the brain or does it work in the blood vessel? We still don't know even after 27 years. Same with CGRP. Complicated picture. We know it works, but we don't know exact mechanism. Wow. Blood vessel effect is probably not the main one. Okay. But in general, that's what CGRP does. C, uh, yes. Yeah, CGRP does so that... People just, that that's yeah. this thing floating there. And that's a little fascinating. Like I just actually was talking at a story meeting yesterday about the evolution of scientific knowledge and how much we think you know everything, right? So you're, you're using these drugs, people, you're treating however many hundreds of patients a week with headaches. You know it works. You know a lot about it. But there's so much knowledge still to come in understanding the mechanisms of these things because our human bodies are so complex right it's like an expanding circle in any uh, field of science the more you know the the more you realize how little we know exactly and i think that's important for people to understand because they go to the doctor they think you know and and this kind of will cycle back and we'll talk later on again about self-help and self-care and preventive measures because that's that's I'll call it the safest thing like if you can make lifestyle changes and you can make dietary changes and see what your triggers are you don't have to worry about putting yourself at risk for any of, of these, um, you know, medications. You're right. All right, let's talk. There were so, all right, so let's move on. There is, I think you mentioned another pill that's coming out, Ravow. Um, and is that, yep. that's a cousin of Imitrex? But time released, uh, is so that? The, the generic name for, your, uh, for people out there is Lasmitidan. Not an easy name either, or Ravow. So imitrex, sumatriptan, and other triptans in that family work on those two specific serotonin uh, receptors, and there are dozens of those. So in case of sumatriptan, it's 5-HT, which stands for serotonin, 1-B and 1-D subtypes. The RAVA works on 5-HT, 1-F receptor subtypes. So it's very it's different in that it does not cause vasoconstriction or constriction of blood vessels, which occasionally can happen with sumatriptan, and that's why sumatriptan shouldn't be taken by taken by people who have heart disease and strokes, uh, which is not common in, in young healthy women who suffer from migraines. But nevertheless, it's uh, safer in a, in that respect. But Ravau uh, can make you a little sleepy, so um, after you take Ravau, you're not supposed to drive for eight hours. Uh, we're still looking forward very much towards this, uh, to having this drug because we have, despite all these new medications we talked about and the old drugs, we still have many people for whom nothing works, and this will be a nice new uh, treatment for people who either don't respond to sumatriptan or have side effects to sumatriptan or contraindications like heart disease and high blood pressure. Uh, so it's nice to have a new drug, even though you won't be able to drive for eight hours. It might be more effective than uh, the other options that we have available. Well, and I think from a lot of the people I know with migraines, they're not going anywhere when they're in the middle of a migraine. You're right. So. You're disabled anyway. You can't yeah. do anything. And interestingly, WHO, World Health Organization, rates the disability of migraine during an attack at the same level as quadriplegia. 
people wow. are shocked by that right. comparison. But when you have a migraine, you're throwing up, and you cannot lift your head off the pillow, you are as disabled as a quadriplegic. Wow. That's amazing. So meanwhile now, there are two totally different types of treatments that are coming out that you were super excited about, I find totally fascinating. One of them is an electric stim device, and one is green light. So let's talk about those. Do you want to talk about the stim device first? Because I love these because they're not drugs, and they're not risky. You're right. But unfortunately, they're not as uh, dramatically effective. They do work. I mean, Ceramica is a company that came out with a product called Nerivio, N-E-R-I-V-I-O. And Nerivio is an electrical stimulator that you put on your upper arm, and you have an app you download into your phone and you crank up the current and you feel electrical stimulation of the upper arm, which stays there for 45 minutes. And two out of three people report that the headache gets better. And it's actually officially FDA approved for migraine because the company uh, conducted blinded studies proving that they actually work for migraine. Many, most people, um, when I present them, my patients with this, the most common word that they say Really? <laughs> They're a bit incredulous right. that this kind of thing, putting on the arm, will help their migraines. But the data is data, and I have patients who've tried it and continue to use it. So for some patients, it really is an effective um, therapy. We do have a couple of other electrical stimulation devices, especially Cephaly is another old device that you place on your forehead. But some so, people get a headache, actually, from that. So let me ask you this. As an acupuncturist... What's the con- uh, correlation? So they're putting it on the arm. Is the arm a key place for headache? Like if they put it on their ankle, would it be more effective or the bottom of their feet somewhere? Well, it's a good, good question. We do know that it's, uh, there are acupuncture points and acupuncture, uh, you can do acupressure and get some relief, but this is probably working in a different way. And uh, there are many theories, and the oldest theory how this might work is called gate control theory of pain. When you bruise yourself, you tend to rub the area. Mm-hmm. Because when you rub it, or when you uh, pass electrical stimulation, that activates uh, fat-conducting fibers. We call them uh, A-delta fibers. And when you have pain getting transmitted to your brain, it's C fibers. They are small fibers, and they're slow. So when you rub it, the fast fibers block the gate in the spinal cord and the brain prevents the pain messages from reaching your brain. The injury is still there, but you don't feel the pain. So that's one of the possible ex- simplistic explanations how this works. Acupuncture works in a different way, and acupuncture really works. We have good science. We can talk about acupuncture as well. Yes, we're going but to. But electrical stem is, is really um, very safe and very very easy to use and this product actually was not overpriced like some other previous devices and this is a product that i do i need a prescription for it or can i just yeah buy it you do need a prescription yep Nerivio do need prescription and uh, uh there's one pharmacy that distributes the product so nerivio.com but it looked like it's not break break the bank money it's a couple hundred bucks well, no, it's $99 for 12 treatments, a disposable device. After 12 treatments, it dies, the battery dies, and uh, it's about $8 oh, a interesting. treatment. Okay. Because we have one of those, like, muscle stim machines that you just use it forever. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it's, you can do it yourself, but it's not, not as convenient, not as easy, not as... Um, you don't know exactly how, what kind of settings to put. Tense yeah. units, which are similar. Transcutaneous yeah. electrical units. That's what I was thinking of. Yep, the tense units. Physical therapists use it. Yep. So it's a similar device, 
but there are so many settings you have to play with so you figure out what works for you. Yeah. No, I was just thinking it's an interesting, back to the business and the money that, you know, the tens of units, you buy the unit, you have it forever and it lasts forever versus in this case, yeah. it obsolesces. So it's battery operated, you get whatever, eight or 10 treatments out of it, and then you got to buy more. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. And how about the green light? We all know about blue light. We all know about red light. What about green light? Yeah. So you don't need a prescription for this device. It's called LA Lamp, A-L-L-A-Y, lamp.com. You buy it there. And it's based on surprisingly serious science. Real, there's a researcher at Harvard, Rami Burstein, and he's an Israeli researcher. He's been at Harvard for at least two decades, and he's a very original thinker. He's, you know, he's a migrant researcher, even he's a PhD, but he sees a lot of migrant patients, treats them, and, uh, and asks very, very um, probing questions and looks at this from a very uh, unique point of view. So we know that migrant sufferers very often sensitive to light. So he decided to look at the spectrum of light, see which actual color does what. And he did animal studies, actually. There's a standard model of pain uh, in, in rats. Uh, that's how painkillers are tested. And he looked at different colors, the effect of pain on animals, and he found that green light brought the pain down. Every other color was either neutral or worsened the pain. And uh, this is a rat model. And then he did it uh, in humans, and they found the patients with migraines, if you expose them to green light, their throbbing goes down, nausea subsides. So it takes a while, it takes about an hour of sitting in a green light environment, you're supposed to turn off the uh, your other lights and close the shades and try not to look at bright screens. And uh, it has a really nice effect on pain, but not only pain, people's mood improves. And these are objective measures of mood. So people feel happier. Maybe the seasonal affective disorder, when people get depressed in the winter, maybe you're better off with the green light than the white light. So green light has an amazing therapeutic effect, not for everyone. And I have I bought one of these lamps and have it on my desk in the office, and I show it to patients. And today I had a woman say, "Oh, I hate that color." Uh, so it's not for everyone, but many many people find it very soothing and very uh, helpful. Well, it's a tough color to wear. I gotta say. Pardon me. Pardon me? <laughs> Wearing that green color is a little tough to wear. You said the woman doesn't like the oh, color. Oh, wear yes. Yeah. Don't don't wear it. Right. And you don't have to stare at the light. You just yeah. use it as a Light source, you, just you can still it. read and, uh, and do other things. It's enough light. So, and people often ask, well, why can't I buy cheap green light in a hardware store? But it has to be really pure green, not mixed with other colors for it to have a uh, therapeutic effect. Would that and work then if, would that work for just, I'll call it tension headaches, for people that get headaches regularly, but they're not migraines? Well, actually, it may work even for any other pain. Because in animals, it's an experimental induced pain. You, the famous test called tail flick test. You heat up the tail of the rat and see how long it takes for it to flick the tail away. That's and horrible. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. They, they, they okay. They don't your suffer tail. any permanent injury. <laughs> no permanent injury. I just took That's a match it. under a tail of a rat, but no, it's okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's not no no harm done, and it tail flicks away and uh, there's no burn. It's only like. Uh, warming it up. So, and if you give them a Tylenol or Advil or green light, it takes longer. Yeah. So, proving that it's pain relieving. So, maybe if you even if you have back pain, it may get better too. Oh, interesting. So, on the other side, then, are there 
colors of light that increase pain. So, you know, you said you've got, yeah. you know, your, your waiting room is teeming with people and our country, our world is bathing themselves in blue light all day long. Does blue light for some reason increase pain by any chance? Just asking. Yes, you're right. Because I, right on my desk, I'm looking at these uh, uh, glasses and the company that sells them is called lowbluelights.com. And these are orange colored lenses which block out all the blue blue lights. And I also give patients in the office to try them on. Some people love it, some people hate it. So some people are very sensitive to blue spectrum, uh, blue spectrum of the light. So you're right, blue is for somebody is a big trigger and some people actually find it worse in the overcast, on the overcast day than on the sunny day. There's more blue in the, in the, in the spectrum. Yeah. Well, we've so talked, We've talked on other podcasts about sleep, about blue light and what I'll call blue blocker sunglasses, any kind of, you know, the blue, the blue glasses that will block the light in the evening if you must work on the computer or if you're on the computer all day long to wear these blue, um, blue coated, yeah. blue light coated glasses. All right, let's go back to now lifestyle. Um, so we ta- you talked about diet, you talked about meditation. Um, how and 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 we talked about exercise a little bit. What about magnesium? Because you were actually a pioneer in the in the land of magnesium and migraines. Yes, I was lucky enough to work with a researcher, a professor of physiology at the medical school where I teach, who was an expert on magnesium, and um, we discovered in the mid '90s that close to 50% of people with migraines during an attack have a deficiency, a low level of magnesium. And the reason we were able to discover it because the researcher Burton Altura developed this very sensitive test. Very hard to measure magnesium on the regular blood test because most of the magnesium in your body is hidden inside the cell. The regular magnesium blood test doesn't tell you if you're deficient or not. And uh, so that was a nice discovery, and now we decided to test it and give patients an infusion of magnesium to make sure they get it. And 50% of people, those who had deficiency, responded. So I recommend that everyone with migraines try taking an oral supplement at least. We often don't bother doing a blood test, which is available. There's a blood test called red blood cell magnesium. Um, but many people will uh, benefit from it especially if you have other symptoms of magnesium deficiency, which are cold hands and feet or feeling cold in general, uh, muscle cramps in your legs, and women PMS before periods. If you they take magnesium, PMS gets much better. Palpitations, uh, difficulty sleeping, anxiety, all that improves with magnesium supplementation if you are deficient. If you have enough magnesium, it will not make a difference, but on the other hand, there's no downside in taking magnesium. It's inexpensive and very safe. So are you able to say a dose here, like how much somebody should take? Sure. Yeah, so 400 milligrams is the usual recommended, USDA recommended daily allowance is about 400 milligrams. And there are different kinds of magnesium salts, like magnesium oxide, magnesium chloride, and citrate, and others. Magnesium glycinate is what I tend to recommend. It's called chelated magnesium. Combined with amino acids, so absorption is a bit better. Um, the only side effect of magnesium is diarrhea. So if you take it in an empty stomach, you're more likely to do that, uh, to have that side effect. So always take it with food, 400 to start. Sometimes we increase that oral dose. 
Well, you said 400 is the RDA, but usually the RDA is what they'll call it the bare minimum to keep you from dying. You're right. You're right. Um, same with vitamin D and other vitamins. Yes. But 400 is a good start just to see if the patient doesn't get diarrhea or stomach cramps right. from magnesium. And if they tolerate it, and they, sometimes it's sufficient, actually, because uh, regular diet food has magnesium, but in, uh, many migraine patients do not absorb magnesium. And another reason, common reason for magnesium deficiency is uh, stress depletes magnesium, alcohol depletes magnesium as well, and processed foods are low in magnesium. And so if people are taking um, acid-suppressing medications, then they're not absorbing the magnesium from their foods? Absolutely. That's a major issue, major epidemic as you know, and you've written about that, yes. so PPIs, we call them proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec, Adnexium, block acid, which is good, so your heartburn is better, but that also blocks absorption of vitamin B12, magnesium, vitamin D, so that it is a major issue. It's a cycle. It just cycles yeah. upon itself, right? Yeah. Uh, what else from a lifestyle point of view, from a preventive point of view, because you know, I'm getting the feeling that from what you're saying, you know, people get their headaches and then as, as people are, they want to get them fixed, they run to the doctor, but there are so many things they can do from a preventive point of view, from a lifestyle point of view, before they jump into the drugs to see what they can do to help themselves. Yeah, so again, one other thing we didn't talk about besides regular exercise, regular sleep, and by the way, patients with migraines often have to go to sleep and get up at the same time, ideally even on the weekend. Um, that regularity often helps prevent headaches. Uh, alcohol consumption, excessive caffeine consumption, we didn't talk about, can make headaches worse. Small amounts of caffeine help. And the psychological factors are very important. Unfortunately, about 40% of patients, or some, some studies suggest even more, people with chronic migraines or chronic pain in general, have a history of being sexually, physically, emotionally abused. So psychological factors are very important, and there are many ways you can uh, help with that and one of them is cognitive behavioral therapy usually conducted by a psychologist and uh, because many people have this PTSD from being abused post-traumatic stress disorder yes. but there's a cheap way to do PTSD uh, to do a cognitive behavioral therapy there is a website an Australian website it's not the only one but this is a good one called thiswayup.org.au AU is for Australia. It's an Australian website where you can take online courses, either free or maybe for $50 some of the courses, and they have modules you can pick from. You have courses on anxiety, depression, PTSD, chronic pain, social anxiety, and so on, insomnia. So you can actually do it yourself. And they published in scientific journals the outcomes suggesting that they're as good as uh, going seeing a life therapist. Of course, there are advantages. Life therapist is more like a coach. So it is nice to have someone talk to you, but it can be expensive and, and it's hard to find good experienced psychologists. So that's another important thing to mention. Thank you. Um, speaking of cost and therapists, um, these new drugs, insurance cover them? Yes, well, the injectables, they all came out at about the same price, $600 a shot wow. once a month. So, but insurance companies do cover them. Uh -huh. uh, and if the good news is if the insurance doesn't cover them, each pharmaceutical company will give it to you for free for up to a year. Uh, the reason because being that they're competing against each other, yeah. they want you to start their drug and stay on their drug. 
Um, that excludes those people who are Medicare, Medicaid, government, yeah. uh, because those Medicare, Medicaid doesn't allow any promotional coupons, discounts. But theoretically, they shouldn't have a problem getting any of these treatments. Correct. All right. Dr. Alex Moskop, thank you so much. This, The complexity of this condition, this disease, this ailment, and the, you know, the breadth of the sufferers is just enormous. I don't know how you don't have a headache dealing with figuring it all out well, every day. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it because it's, we need more public education like, like this one. Well, thank you so much. Your website, nyheadache.com, and you have a blog that people can subscribe to, which is great, very informative. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm talking to leading neurologist Dr. Alex Moskop about the latest treatments in headaches and migraines. Dr. Moskop and his team at New York Headache Center work with their patients to find the right treatments to not only treat an acute migraine, but to help prevent future ones. This includes many natural and lifestyle elements in addition to the carefully working with patients to find the right medication for them. Dr. Moskop has been sharing his wisdom with readers of our twice monthly newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, for many years. His message is just one from the thousands of experts featured in Bottom Line Personal who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Dr. Moskop's insights into headaches and migraine prevention and treatment, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including traveling safer and cheaper, how to beat heart disease, diabetes and other chronic diseases, having a better marriage, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, secrets for getting and staying fit, and even travel to little known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.